Welcome, everyone. I'm Sandra Bargeman. A few years ago, I wrote and performed a solo show called The Edge of Every Day, which was an exploration of the rough edges and contradictions we all face and grapple with. The show hit a nerve, and the relevance of the topic would only grow over time more than I could have foreseen. So, here we are. Real talk with real people, sharing stories and perspectives that spark provocative invitations to leap out of what's safe, on the edge of every day. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. We are live in the hive. Thank you for joining me on this, the 30th episode of The Edge of Every Day here on talkradio.nyc. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, and for those of you who don't know me yet, I encourage you to check out my bio on talkradio.nyc, or you can visit my website, sandrabargeman.com. And please tune in to any of my previous episodes with my inspiring guests. In a nutshell, this show is about celebrating triumphs, pushing boundaries, and exploring rough edges. Through conversations and shared stories with friends and colleagues, it's my hope that we can begin to understand our edges. And what I mean by edges is those places where we are fearful, those places where we are resistant to change, those places where paradoxes and contradictions live in our beliefs, in our understandings, both about ourselves and about the world around us, those places where we don't want to look. We live in turbulent times, and we are coming to understand that life simply isn't black or white. It must be an embrace of both. And the more we recognize our own edges and get real about them, the more we can help others to do the same. And that, I fully believe, can help to change the world. So thanks again for tuning in. And without further ado, it's time to introduce our guest this evening. Leslie Michaels, speaker, author, mentor, equity warrior, and strategic alliance expert, was born to feminism. Her foundational ethos was shaped by her audacious paternal grandmother, who was a first-wave feminist and savvy businesswoman. Leslie came of age just as second-wave feminism was becoming a significant American social movement. At age 16, she struck out on her own for New York City and the heart of the cult cultural transformation that was the zeitgeist of the late 1960s and early 1970s. She was later one of the first women to break through the glass ceiling in the old boy industry of oil and gas. Shortly after leaving the corporate world, she was infected by a latent entrepreneurial spirit. Over the following years, Leslie developed and sold several small businesses. In each case, her staff was a multicultural representation of women. During the same period, she became a leader in the coaching industry. Leslie has mentored Fortune 500 C-suite executives, individuals within the financially privileged sector, and celebrities. Leslie's body of unique life experiences have provided her with a firsthand understanding of the daily struggles faced by women of every race, culture, and sexual orientation. On the Shoulders of Mighty Women is a tribute to the power and grace of those who came before and the ones who will follow, the warriors and the fallen. This book is one more way Leslie chooses to amplify the voice, energy, experience-based understandings, and compassion of women fighting for equality, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Leslie facilitates virtual programs on topics ranging from build a success mindset with unwavering clarity and building strategic alliances of women. Leslie also hosts the weekly podcast, Women We Should Know, and she will soon be delivering her TED Talk in 2022 
lift one with you as you rise. Hello and welcome, Leslie Michaels. Hello, Sandra. How are you? (laughs) I'm fantastic on this glorious summer night. I get to see Leslie Michaels on my podcast and it fills me with great joy. Oh, thank you so much. It's It was fun having you on mine. <laughs> yes, indeed. And it was fun being on yours. I like to share with my audience how we know each other. And I, I met you in 2005. Can you believe it's been that long? Wow. Well, my first year of seminary, a mutual friend of ours gave me your um, contact information and I reached out and became a part of a group that you facilitate and mentor and through time just became great friends, great allies, great, great connections. And so it is, again, a thrill to have you on the show and to celebrate you and the incredible work that you're doing and with this new book. Thank you. This new book that I might add, you had a little piece in writing. I did. bypass that. Let's go ahead and just speak it out, put it on the table. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to get into that in a little bit. I am thrilled that you invited me in. But before we do that, Mm -hmm. I'd like to get into, I love lift one up as you rise. I love that. How did you, how did you come to learn that? And what was your earliest strategic alliance? I learned that through, honestly, my paternal grandmother and her best friend. Oh, I love this. It was the late 1930s. And my grandmother decided she didn't want to be a farm wife. So putting her brilliant capacity for strategy to work, she convinced the young man who'd been courting to elope to another state. Well, over time, her she made this woman, she and this woman became best friends. This woman happened to be the bank owner's daughter. Now, this is way back when banks were owned by human beings. I know it's a bizarre concept to the young, some of the younger people, but banks were at one time owned by human beings. And so of course, the, bank, <laughs> yeah, the bank owner's daughter became my grandmother's champion. In the 1940s, in spite of laws forbidding female ownership of physical assets in every state in this nation, she Mm -hmm. owned her own business, her own home, in her own name. And it would not have been possible if her friend hadn't been there lifting her up. And then there's another story about how she returned the favor. Oh, well, tell that. Tell that. She decided she was decided she was going to buy that business for my grandpa to keep him busy, keep him out from underfoot. Well, she went to her friend who was part of the same synagogue and they got to putting their heads together. They ended up buying a different building. One half belonged to Mr. Perry. He had the old fashioned butcher counter, little tiny bit of groceries, The other side was my grandpa's. It was the farm and garden store. And then another woman from the synagogue wanted to know what my grandma and Miss Perry were doing right. She ended up buying a building next door, and that became Morrison's Drugstore with the old-fashioned soda fountain. So that's how I grew up. I grew up in this body of audacious women Women. doing crazy things that women didn't do. They were building businesses and sending the boys off to go to work. They always called them the boys, you know. (laughs) I love, love, love this crazy. Yes. Well, yeah. And your, your mom was a pip too. And just to, to briefly tell us a little bit about her. I love how she just, made some choices and was not going to, was going to move where she needed to move. My mother was raised in World War II bomb shelters. And during that time, she lost both of her parents. Unbelievable. She was raised by an ever so proper British grandmother. Now, just a little tiny story that gives you a sense of who that woman was. At 106, she decided to sleep in one morning forever 
And the standing family joke is that the staff had a party before they called anyone to let them know and that everyone in the family congratulated the part the staff for having themselves a party. They had it coming to them. That's how traditionally British this woman was and rigid. Mm. So like many, not just because of her, but like many of the young women of that age, my mother latched on to the ink. She was going to marry herself a Yank. She was going to chase that American dream. Mm. These were women who had grown up with bombs going off around them. People yeah. in this country can't even conceive of what that's like. No, they cannot. And so she latched on to this Yank and she chased the American dream. Well, we all know what dreams of idyllic happy endings lead to. Need I say more on that front? <laughs> Oh, my. Well, speaking of dreams of idyllic endings, you got it in you that you wanted to go to New York City. Oh, I did. So let's let's shift gears to that story. I was young. I was and I was um, at the younger age of the boomer generation. Yes. And I had just gotten permission to leave school Wow! because I was failing due to the fact that as the school, the, the heads of the school explained to my parents, we don't have anything to interest her. I bet your and my parents couldn't thrilled private school. <laughs> so they said, Best thing for her is just to take a couple years off, take her GED when her class graduates and and then go to college from there. My parents said, okay, we're not going to torture her. She can't get, we can't make her sit in classes where she already is. Oh my Lord. Can you imagine somebody having that faith in their child in today's school, school, school mentality? I don't know if it was faith or surrender, but anyway. (laughs) Good answer. I like that. I had a strong will. But anyway, um, yes, the uh, what we called the women's liberation movement back in those days was really getting traction. What was truly in the news was this fight for the Equal Rights Amendment. And my grandmother, having come from that era, kept that story alive. And one day without notice to a single soul, I took off. Really? Yeah. You didn't you didn't let them know. That's part of the story I've never heard. Wow. I wanted to get out of town. If I'd have told them, I might have been in a straitjacket. Wow. So how no, did you I just took no. off? I took and off. How did you take off? What did you do? I went out to the main road and stuck my thumb out because oh, that's how old hippie kids travel. Yeah, baby. That's how old hippie kids travel. And I was the blessing or the curse, I don't know which it was, probably a little of each. I always looked younger than my age, and I always looked incredibly innocent in spite of my lack of innocence. Rebel. <laughs> and so everyone that would pick me, all these men were picking me up, older men, and they would go sometimes 50 miles out of their way to take me to the next step, to take me to the next step. They were they were in a conspiracy to get me there safe and in one piece. Oh, my. I know. I love that. So you arrive in New York City and you have all of this audacious lineage in you. And and you begin to to get into communities and circles of women. And and what did that look like? How did you begin to to create your tendrils into New York City? I had an understanding that there was a powerful gay community in New York City. Mm. Since I was a lesbian, had known this since I was 13, I thought the best place to start was probably the men's gay bars. And I, along the way, had figured out where they were. I'd ask people. I'd, you know, sit and talk story with people. So I started out in the men's gay bars. And they asked me what I was doing there. I was 
They were helping me sneak in because <laughs> I shouldn't be there. They were teaching me how to put makeup on so I could look older, how I could do my hair so I could look <laughs> older. I love my perfection. Love my gay men, love my queens. And um and they introduced me to a few women who introduced me to a few women who, who took me to a consciousness raising circle, who took me to a party. <laughs> and so it went and on and on and on. It just became a flow of weaving in and out of all these different types of women, mm. everything from the um sternly academic and sternly what would I say anti-male to the hippie kids to the spiritual community women and it was the broadest spectrum of women I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah, of course. I, I I kind of felt like if I stayed in New York the rest of my life, I would get to meet every kind of woman there was. And I was just weaving in and out, having fun, meeting all of them. And learning, 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 learning. mentored and uplifted and connected. How glorious. Well, it's going to, it's time for a break. And when we come back, I, I'm fascinated to to jump forward into how you moved out of New York City into corporate. Why corporate? I mean, why moving in that direction? Why business? And then we're going to get into your wonderful book, On the Shoulders of Mighty Women, when we come back with Leslie Michaels on the edge of every day. Stay tuned. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. with Leslie Michaels. So, so what, what was the impulse to then shift gears from New York city and go to leave and go into the world of corporate and business? Well, it started with the fact that I wanted to eat. I mean, it was really good. It was really a motivator. Yeah. Great motivator. Um, I, Felt like I needed to build a career, build a life, and I'm pure into it. Into it has led me through my life. The times when I've gotten in the worst trouble is when I didn't follow my nose. I love that. 
And so I was, I had this into it to go back to middle America. I didn't know what I was going to do. I did take all, you know, my tests and my ACT and my, my SAT and started taking a few courses and what have you. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. I took a job as a receptionist at an oil company, a very teeny tiny oil company. And one day a man named Bob Phillips walked in to have a meeting with the owner of this teeny tiny company. And the owner wasn't back yet from lunch. So Bob sat there in the reception area and we chatted. He came back the following week, we chatted again. He came back the following week and I said, well, I, I don't see you on the, on the date where he said, no, I don't have an appointment. Just tell him I only need five minutes. Okay. So after five minutes, the two of them walk out and Bob Phillips says to me, I just needed five minutes to explain to him that I'm taking his receptionist. <laughs> That's great. And then we had a conversation. My boss is like, yeah. you got to do it. So we had a conversation about he wanted me to come to work for him and he wanted to mentor me. Hmm. He said, because I, I'll never forget this. He said, I was telling Steve, who I later found out was the vice president of the company. I was telling Steve the other day, if I had 10 of you, I could probably run the world. I would agree with that. And I said, well, we'll see. I was naive. I was young. I said, was it pay? (laughs) (laughs) So you move forward and you, you, you rise and you rise and you rise and as a feminist, what are you seeing within this this world, this corporate world? Shock and horror. Um, I got kicked through the fences badly, mostly by women. Mostly by women. The men, they treated me like a, a naive child. They were dismissive, but they were not hostile. They were not aggressive. The women were. Anyway, after a period of time, I realized, no, this is not it. This this doesn't even work in my brain. I had a really hard time understanding it, have, considering my roots. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I assumed falsely it was anomalous. Mm-hmm. But I left. And fell into uh, building small businesses, which I ultimately either sold or crashed. You know, you have to crash a few to learn how to build the others. And then I became a a speaker. And every single thing I did was following my nose and having it thrown at me. Yeah. You know, the way Bob walked in and said, I'm taking your receptionist. And the way um, my... One of my mentors, who's in my book, threw me up on a stage one day to speak because the person I was replacing had laryngitis and I had no intention of being a speaker. Everything I did was I was it was thrown at me or I was thrown into it. And I just kept going for Whether, I don't know if I was brilliant or insane or somewhere in between, but I just kept going. I just kept taking every step that was either thrown in my way or forced on me. Well, your your strength and resilience shines through from the moment that I met you. And to to hear that things were thrown at you does not surprise me in the least, Mm -hmm. actually. And, And the powerful learning for someone with a brain like yours and a curiosity about life can grab onto that in a really exciting way um, and, and move through whatever fear and just dive right in. Right. Right. And along the way, I had five women Mm. grab me up, lift me up on their mighty shoulders 
and teach me life. Yeah. They taught me life in a way that I believe only a woman can teach life to a woman. Well, Preferably a seasoned woman sharing life with someone her junior. Yeah. And that is my passion and my purpose at this time. That's why I really, one of the reasons I love the title of your book is because it so speaks to the lineage. It so speaks to your gratitude to these women, and it speaks to your desire to pay it forward. It's all embedded in that title. It gives me, expands my heart every time I say it. So what, why, why, why did you decide you wanted to write this book? What compelled you? Got thrown into it again. <laughs> this little thing called COVID came around, shut the world down. I called a friend who had an epidemiologist friend and et cetera. Long story short, I was told it would probably be about a two-year run. So I sat down and had a little come to Leslie meeting. I said, well, you got two years. You were locked in this little teeny tiny town where if it was not in restriction, there's not a lot to do. And um, what you going to do? What you going to do, girlfriend? And I was in the shower a number of days later. I have my intuit has a profound relationship with shower water. <laughs> anyway, it, it is a mystical place. The shower, it is I a do mystical place. Yes. Anyway, it came to me, and I knew I was going to write a book, and that it was several things. Mm-hmm. It was the fulfillment of a dream I had when I was 12 years old, quite literally when I was 12 years old. Mm. It was the next that I had spent my life looking for because while I was being a speaker and building businesses and traveling around the world and having a great time, there was always this tape in my mind that this is what I was doing until. I didn't know what that until meant. But I knew it was out there. It became apparent this was my until. And as I started doing what became hundreds of interviews with women, with every interview, I was more compelled to do this and to tell my truths, to tell their truths, and to both uplift them, but also to call them out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Enough. We're not playing this small stuff anymore. Right. Truly. Truly. Well, that that's a great segue into. So, what is feminism, and what isn't it? <clears throat> feminism is a commitment to the understanding that all people deserve equitable treatment. And feminism is the action and the movement toward that. Feminist is often confused with man-hating. Yeah, totally. It is confused with forcing women to live a particular type of life. It is confused with forcing women to act like men which is the antithesis of what feminism is. And so it's time to call it out, talk about what it is, not the dust off of it. It got a little dusty between the 70s and now. Yes, it has. And figure out what it looks like in this new world. Mm, indeed. You know, it's it's funny when I when I think about the the I came of age at the end of the second wave. And um, so the angry feminist stereotype was in full force. And uh, the irony of combining angry with feminism is Mm -hmm. just, is so patriarchal that, that 
that if a woman speaks up and speaks to this desire for an equitable life and equality that and and speaks with any sort of passion that her anger that's anger of course and that that's somehow inappropriate and it's not inappropriate for men mm-hmm. um that the, this whole story around anger right. and women's anger is 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 such a juicy rich unpacking and unraveling but mm-hmm. it's time for a break so we're going to talk about anger and the reluctant leader and more about leslie's book on the shoulders of mighty women when we come back on the edge of every day stay tuned Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Chipping around, kick my brain to the ground. These are the days it never On the edge of every day. And we are back with Leslie Michaels. So, Leslie, before we dive into the anger issue, I wanted to um, back up just a bit because I'm so in love with the fact that you have invited all of these women in. Mm -hmm. You are doing with this book exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. You are uplifting women by inviting them in to contribute to this book. How did that idea come? How did you choose? Um, Tell us a a bit of that story. In the greater context, in terms of inviting all women in, any woman who wants to participate, uh, that wasn't as much a choice as a natural extension of the only thing that felt right. Mm. In terms... Yeah. In terms of inviting other women, such as yourself, to share their perspectives, their understandings within the book, that also felt, um, I didn't choose it. (laughs) It, I just knew that that is how it had to be. And in terms of choosing the women I would invite Um, that was one of those, well, this just makes sense to have her, and this just makes sense to have her. And intuition. Yes. Intuition and and sense as well. It just made sense. This woman is going to relate to so many women in this area on this topic. This woman's going to speak to so many women on this topic. And while they weren't topics on which I could not speak, the way in which each of you spoke differently spoke to an expanded number of women. 
Yeah, it brought brings in way more people. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, and again, I was thrilled to be invited in. And my chapter, of course, as we mentioned, was on anger and being a reluctant leader. And by reluctant, um, a a non-stereotypical leader. And I have a a, just a quick little uh, chapter or a quick little paragraph from mine. Anger is boldness in action. If we are willing to look within and to get real about not only its source, but also to transmuting and focusing it. Otherwise, the rage fire will burn you and your dreams down. Owning the fear and anger is the passage out, and it is the key to unlocking the door of judgment and impatience and moving into vulnerability and authentic communication. I genuinely believe women want greater and deeper connection, which leads to authentic, effective communication and a sharing of one's true voice. This is leadership. So we were talking before about the combination of anger as fear, fear and anger, the linking of that. Can you speak uh, a bit to that? Your, Your feelings on that? Anger has a... A, an energy of projection of itself for self-preservation. Mm. Whereas warriorship, because I call women to their warriorship, is not moving out of a fear for self-preservation. Mm. It is moving out of a commitment to knowing that that's a given self-preservation is a given. And this is the way this is the end. This is the line in the sand. This is the answer. Whatever it is, that warriorship is a way of moving forward past the anger that can limit us into the momentum aspect of the same energy. Every energy has a yin and a yang. Truly, the edge of every day. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So right around the time I was writing this, I I started reading Soroya Shamali, Rage Becomes Her, The Power of Women's Anger. Mm Mm-hmm. And which, of course, talks, you know, you and I have joked about this many times of popping out of the womb with more than a modicum of anger and that I don't Mm -hmm. know any female that is not does not have anger. And of course, that's what her entire book is and uh, uh, around and the transmuting Mm -hmm. of that anger into warriorship and the understanding that anger is an active emotion, that Mm -hmm. it is it demands change. Mm-hmm. And and why that's the irony around the men making anger a bad thing in females, but not a bad thing in men, which, mm-hmm. of course, all the reason women are angry is because they just want the same changes and the 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 push towards equality like anyone else. So, of course, um, but it is in that transmuting. It is in the use of that emotion for change. Yes. It brings you, and I like the word, of course, as an Amazon, I like the word warrior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so- also, if I may, one thing that's really important to be said there that I don't miss an opportunity to say mm. is that women raise 100% of the kids. And this is one of my call it out moments. Women raise 100% of the kids. We have to stop allowing our daughters to have their personhood stolen from them from the time they go to school. Amen. Amen. Amen to that. So were you, speaking of anger, were you, have you been, you know, were you in touch with your anger? When did you, I mean, I didn't even realize I was angry until I was in college. When, when did you have a sense of this? anger, this feminist um, connection, unrest. 
Well, that's actually two questions, even though it didn't seem like it. (laughs) When did I get in touch with my anger? I do not remember a time when I wasn't. If you look at my passport, when I'm still in diapers, yeah, um, my mother had to hold me. And my hair is just in sticky curls because I was so sweaty from throwing a fit. I was mad. And the anger is on my face. I honestly believe I was born mad. Yeah, pop, pop, popped uh, out of the, I know, I say popped out of the womb. With, <laughs> totally. Yes, because I was carried within the woman, body of a woman who was mad and terrified and had Indeed. been through a war. So I was always angry. I was always aware that I was angry. Where I was not yet clear was I had the misconception that my anger was my protector. And actually, Mm. it was eating at me internally and externally. It was alienating people externally. It was eating at me internally. And it wasn't until I had these four four women that I speak of, plus one more who's not in the book, who entered my life and... When I would say something that was angry or out of step with what was going on, they did. They pretended not to notice, but not in a uh, foolish way. Yeah. Just, okay, we're not going to dignify that. Right. Let's go back and find that other person that you are kind of way. And it gave me an opportunity to suddenly consider that, oh, oh. <laughs> maybe, uh, oh, maybe, maybe I am that other. I wonder if that other person could that be me. So that's how that evolution happened. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I, I, I did not have a good mentor in helping move me through an understanding of anger. In fact, I, it wasn't until later in my life that I even connected to a mentor period, Mm. uh, let alone someone who might be helpful to me in terms of my anger. You know, I, you know, Mm -hmm. I had a great perception of myself as the good girl, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and the whole, um, perfectionistic and um, which we could do a whole show on perfectionism. And so, yeah, I, it's just never ending and, and, and how that plays into this anger perfectionism. Um, But yeah. So tell us a little bit about, if you will, just meander a bit into some of the, the, your mentorship and your beloved mentors. Sarah was first, (laughs) and she came at a time when I knew it was time to leave corporate oil, but I wasn't sure where I was going to land, and without ever speaking about it directly, she gave me permission to jump, (sighs) and she ended up sending me to a think tank in Dallas for feminists and lesbians, and I met my next mentor, who was a lesbian feminist. (laughs) And was literally one of the makers. She was quite a few years my senior, Mm. a few decades my senior. And she was one of the makers of women's history. And she schooled me, Mm. as it were, on our history, on the truth of our history instead of the illusion. And Then there was Merlin. I loved politics. I was born to politics. My grandmother used to be her best friend was Speaker of the House and notorious drunk and brilliant man, Carl Albert. And he was regularly at her dinner parties that were raucous and loud and full of debate and brilliant And so when a friend called and said, my mom's coming to town and I'm trying to figure out things to do with her. And I thought maybe you would hit it off. Would you mind having lunch with my mom? 
I go to meet her for lunch. She's this five foot tall woman who whose big claim to fame is having secured Clinton's presidential nomination in the state of California, not one run, but on both of his presidential runs. And I was in heaven. I had just <laughs> met my God. And so, so we were made for each other. I wanted to learn. I could not ask the questions fast enough. And she kept feeding me everything I wanted to know. And so these women shaped those parts of my life, my business life, my mm. my activist life, my social justice life, my political life. And then came my dear Miss Fanny, who uh, taught me how to be humane to myself. And that's when the anger started to fade. And more than once, I would sit at her table this beautiful woman was born in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1929, and she was a black woman. Mm. Okay, we don't have to stretch our imaginations very far, do we? To this day, she is the most loving, most positive, not Pollyanna-ish, mm. just positive, heart-centered human being I've ever known. And I remember sitting at her table one day and I'm just sobbing. And I asked her, I said, Penny, I don't know what's wrong with me. You've never talked about what you've been through, but I'm not stupid. And here I am just whining and blubbering like a fool. And she, she, uh, she said, honey, you just didn't have my mama. But I can mama you. And she taught me how to be humane to myself. So this was what molded me through my life. My grandmother gave me this legacy of, of, of feminism, as it were, as suffragette. Mm. My mother gave me this legacy of anger and war and all of that came with that. And then these four women saved me. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's time for us to take a break. And when we come back, we will hear about Leslie's mentoring and creating these strategic alliances. And we're going to find out about Leslie's leading edge. When we come back on the edge of every day, stay tuned, everyone. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. pet lovers pet avengers assemble on the professionals and animal lovers show we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong it mirrors that bond between pets and their owners through this program we come together to learn educate and advocate join us live every wednesday at 2 p.m at talkradio.nyc You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Chipping around, kick my brain to the ground. These are the days it never rained. But it falls on the on edge. The edge. Of every day. And we are back with Leslie Michaels. So um, 
Nina Cherry said, empowered women empower women. Mm-hmm. How are you mentoring and how do you see women's leadership shifting in today's world? I see some of this happening and I am a big proponent of it. And that is to take our attention off the patriarchy enough, enough already. We have talked about the patriarchy. We have complained about the patriarchy. We have bitched and whined and moaned and groaned. I don't know if I can say those words on your show, but anyway. You can can say any. We're all big people. We can swear here. Oh, good. I was trying to be good. Um, (laughs) And that's so hard. You know that's hard for me. (laughs) Anyway, it exists. It exists. Yeah. But the more energy we focus into it, the more we feed it energy. We feed it life force. Let's take our attention off of that and let's look at each other. Yeah. The men have had the secret handshake in the old boys club forever and it has served them well. We need our equal version of it and we can't do it as long as we're still playing these patriarchally taught yeah, trying to be them. Competition games between ourselves. We are taught to catfight. We are taught to to believe we have to compete with each other in a vicious way. And we need to say, mm, you know what? I read that book. It doesn't end well. No. I'm taking a different path now. Do you see in the world of business uh, or in in the world of coaching and entrepreneurship, do you see it shifting? Do you see women shifting? And I mean, where, where do you feel we are in our wave of feminism? I do see it shifting. I see it shifting tremendously because more and more women, even in the C-suite are deciding, okay, If there's not enough room for us here, I'm going to pick up my toys, which happen to be my professional equity, Yes, which is significant. My professional credibility, which is significant. I'm leaving, I'm going out and I'm building my own business. And with every passing quarter, more and more women are doing this. They're taking their credibility. They're building women-founded, women-run businesses and Quarter after quarter, those businesses are showing consistently 13 to 16% more gains than companies run by men. We are winning women, and we need to stop giving voice to the idea that we are not. Amen. So how do you help young women with their strategic alliances? Younger women are more prone to natural strategic alliance. The one thing I like to speak with young women, and when I say young women, I mean the lower end of the millennials, younger end of the millennials and the Gen Zs. The thing I like to speak with them about is being more proactively engaged in the socioeconomic, social justice, equity um, war. Because... They see themselves correctly as the most liberal voting bloc we have ever had, even though some of them cannot vote yet. And they see that it just doesn't make sense. And I'd like to pull them in and get them engaged and get them voting and get them participating and get them engaged in the conversation earlier. And I'd also like the younger millennial women to start to understand everything we did do to get to this point, not because they owe us squat, nothing. They do not owe us squat. But to understand that it took this much fight to get this far, it is your turn to take up the torch. Mm -hmm. It is your turn to take up the torch. We're right here with you because we're the first, first generation to live long enough to take the next step in what we started all those decades ago. But pick up the torch, women. Yeah. Amen. And we're still right here. This mm-hmm. all of the boomers, the, exactly. the end of the boomers end of the second, those second way. We're still here and very engaged. 
yes. very engaged, and which is uh, unique. Ah, well, that that's very encouraging. Yeah, and I, I, you know, that is my sense of things as well. Um, so, uh, you know, when I was on your podcast, you asked me a question that I loved, mm. absolutely loved you, and I'm going to ask it of you. Mm. So, um, what is the big brass ring, that shiny project that keeps getting pushed back on your timeline, and that may be a bit scary? What has been, what was, let me start with what was, what was a bit scary and what was the brass ring that I kept pushing out was this book and COVID kicked me to the curb and said, just do it, just do it. Excellent. Yeah. So now the next step is reclaiming that city life, reclaiming that public life, Mm. um, reclaiming that world traveler life that, um, that I used to eat my lunch the first time Mm -hmm. and to reclaim it. And this time do it in a way that is more passion filled, but also more gentle for me. Mm. So that's my breast ring. I love that. Well, Leslie Michaels, my friend, Mm. I am so thrilled for you. I can't wait for on the shoulders of Mighty Women to explode onto the scene. And your podcast, Women We Should Know, everyone, please check it out. You can find her podcast. You can find information on this book, on her other book, her, her first book. You can find all of that at lesliemichaels.com. It's all going to be in the show notes. So, Leslie, what words of wisdom do you have to impart? As we say goodbye. Don't be nice. (laughs) Don't be nice. Don't be perfect. Ride your edges. They're actually lots of fun. Absolutely. Yep. Oh, Leslie, thank you so much for coming on my show. What a great pleasure it has been to spend this hour with you. Oh, thank you, my darling friend. (laughs) And to all of you listening, thanks for spending this hour with us. Run, don't walk to get that book on the shoulders of mighty women. Until we speak again, remember, you are always at the edge of the miraculous. Till next time. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? 
Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.